Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Betting on Brexit. With six weeks to go until the referendum, should investors be prepared for mayhem in the markets or a snap back in UK equities if Britain votes to stay part of the EU? And do you have a pension in the lost and found? As the government overhauls its pension finding service, we hear from former pensions minister Steve Webb, who says plans for a pensions dashboard should be accelerated. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues and columnists. If the UK votes to leave the European Union on 23rd of June, we can apparently expect a collapse in house prices, the loss of thousands of city jobs, and maybe even another world war. Mm. Away from the political noise, FT Money this week examines what effect the build-up to the vote has had on the UK economy. And secondly, how investors might position themselves ahead of the results being announced on June 24th. I'm joined in the FT studio by Emily Cabman, the FT's economics reporter, and David Stevenson, our adventurous investor columnist. Starting with Emily, welcome to The Money Show. Thank you, Claire. Firstly, paint a picture for us of the UK economy right now. Six weeks out from the big referendum, many commentators talking of a big chill amid all the uncertainty. What does the data tell us and what's your reading of that? The first thing to say, Claire, is that the economy is slowing. That's beyond your argument. Growth in the first quarter was exceptionally weak and all over the city economists have been downgrading their expectations for the next three months. However, how much of that is to do to Brexit is more of a judgment than a fact. Mm. The reason being, most firms only really started thinking about the risks in February. That's halfway through the first quarter. There's a big lag to how quickly economic data comes online. So what we're really talking about is survey evidence here. That is relatively clear. People are putting decisions off if they possibly can. And there is a chill going around. However, one of the big drivers of the UK economy is the consumer. It's less clear why the consumer would be impacted by the threat of Brexit. Yeah, that's a very interesting idea because we both heard George Osborne being interviewed by the FT's editor Lionel Barber this week and the Chancellor used this alluring term of a snapback in the event of a vote to stay, saying that deals had been put on hold but these would be struck if we voted to remain and it would be a return to business as usual for Britain. In your view, how much of that is political bluster and how much makes economic sense? As with many of these things, Claire, it's a bit of both. 
There's no doubt that's what the Treasury, the Bank of England and pretty much everyone else is hoping. The UK votes to stay, the floodgates open, deals get done and we get back to normal. Whether that will happen is unclear though. One of the reasons is what have investors done with their money in the meantime? Mm. Have they just sat onto it or have they struck deals elsewhere? Well, that's a very interesting question. But finally, what do economists think could happen to the economy if the UK votes to leave? So there's a pretty clear consensus long term. With only one or two exceptions, most people expect the economy to grow at a slower pace and to be weaker in the long term. There are a few that think the UK might be freed up to be more dynamic, but to be honest, they're not mainstream. In the short term, by which we're talking kind of the next 18 months, even those who think that long term the UK will be better off are expecting a shock. We're talking predictions of a 20% slump in sterling, and we're talking much more deals being made on ice until the precise trading relationship becomes clearer. In the short term, it's not good news. In the longer term, that's more open to judgment. Well, I'm going to bring in David Stevenson now, our adventurous investor columnist. David, we've heard from our resident economist. Now let's hear from you, our resident investor. You've co-authored FT Money's cover feature this weekend, Betting on Brexit, which outlines different approaches that investors should take ahead of the vote. Now, let's start with those who think that we'll vote to stay in and want to position themselves for this so-called snapback. What should they do? Well, I suppose the key thing is, is that just to take one step back, which is the decision and effects of volatility. Uh, now, that sounds a complicated term, but it's just market turbulence. And therefore, what's going on is that people are uncertain. And when they're uncertain, they don't buy stuff. And so therefore, we have this idea, which is also called risk off. So people just take risk off the table. And that means they sell stuff that's risky, like equities. So in fact, the, the very simple next step is if we vote to stay in the EU, that uncertainty is removed, some of that volatility is taken away, some of that turbulence is taken away, and risky stuff generally, like the FTSE 100, for instance, a classic blue chip index, would probably have, probably because we don't know, but will probably have a bit of a bounce back. And therefore, if you wanted to make big profits from it, you could, for instance, gear up or leverage up what you do. So effectively, you could buy a, a product, a tracker, or you spread bet as well. But any of these where they give you the upside of the FTSE 100 bounce, now, we don't know what that bounce will be because, of course, none of us know what the bounce will be. Or but indeed, if there will be one. Yes, there will be one, exactly. I, I think it highly likely there would be a bounce. And I'll tell you the reason why. is because it's pretty clear when I talk to institutional investors that virtually every institutional investor I talk to thinks that uncertainty is costing the market mm. and that the FTSE 100 probably is a little lower than it would be. People are holding off buying stuff. And therefore, I think that it's quite likely that a lot of people, particularly international investors, would come out of the woodwork and start buying stuff again. Because on some measures, some of the London market looks reasonable priced. Now, in your article this week, you've pointed out some particular areas that you think if we did vote to stay in, mm. would see the biggest bounce. Talk us through some of those stocks. Effectively, the, the two areas there where we're seeing the greatest uncertainty, where you can capitalise on. The one area you can't capitalise on is just general international capital flows. So in, American investors choosing not to invest in the UK, because you don't know how to capitalise on, really. It's difficult to capitalise on that one. But the two areas where you can capitalise on are, are sectors. And I think the two sectors that are probably most likely to be impacted in a positive way is the con anything to do with consumers. Because consumers, there is some evidence to show that consumers are holding back. A lot of people are beginning to think, well, you know, they're sensing the uncertainty. Consumers are very good at that. We're all very good at sensing the uncertainty. And people are going, I'll delay my decision about something until after, into the later mm. on in the summer. And therefore, I think we could see some bounce back in what we call consumer discretionary stocks. So those consumer discretionary stocks could be everything from airlines. EasyJet, for instance, just put out some not very good results. 
that wasn't anything to do with Brexit. That was to do with other factors. But I could see something where the airlines, for instance, and the travel companies, mm. so the 2EAG, which is the old 2E travel business, they could do quite well. Um, consumer discretionary stocks could also do well. And in the broader sense, are retailers. So I wouldn't be surprised. You can never sort out the factors, but outfits like Kingfisher, which has got big UK and European operations, maybe that might benefit from a bounce back. The retailers might do quite well. And the other area that I would probably focus attention on, and I think is the one that's most underestimated in the debate, is financial services. Okay. Uh, because actually financial services, particularly firms that sell across their business, their services across Europe, you know, one thing I can say for certain is that every asset manager I know is not looking forward to a Brexit in one respect because they're going to have to basically reposition some of their sales forces and some of their regulatory people outside of the UK in the EU. Now, that's not a statement of being in or out of the EU. It's a simple reality, which is they'll want some of their sales forces in the EU. So the financial services firms, there will be an impact in any vote. And therefore, if we vote to stay in, the impact's likely to be positive and that worry gets taken away. If we vote to leave, that might have a negative impact on those businesses. And finally, if listeners are convinced that we will be heading for the Brexit, are there any short-term trades that you talk about in your article that they could consider? Well, effectively, it's the, it's sort of the mirror opposite in the sense of what I've talked about, really, which is, look, I mean, regardless of what view you take about the vote, it's going to increase uncertainty because the truth of the matter is no one knows what will happen next. And I think even the Brexit campaigners would concede that point. We don't know whether or not negotiations will take one month or 10 years. We just don't know. We don't know what negotiations are like. And that uncertainty is likely to be quite intense. And it's likely to last for a relatively short period of time. <laughs> in economic terms, it could be up to a year or two because we don't know. And that uncertainty has to find its expression in the marketplace in the way in which you price stuff. So risky stuff becomes a little bit more uncertain and you lower the price. So effectively, you would go short something like the FTSE 100. Yeah, you would say, look, I want to make money from the FTSE 100 going down. And effectively, you'd look at some of the consumer discretionary stocks I talked a bit about, and you'd probably go, I want to make money if those go down. Now, there are two ways of doing that. You can either do that by spread betting accounts, but which I'm not a big fan of spread betting, but you could do that. Or you could simply use products that effectively reward you on both the upside and the downside of a particular market or a particular sector. And that would be a way of expressing that view. But I would have to add the caveat, Claire, which is I think over the long term, and most investors should be focused on the long term, yes, know, it's 20, 30 years, I believe in staying in the EU. But even I think over the next 20 or 30 years, I'm not too sure what effect it will have on your investment portfolio. I don't know. It may have none. It may have a lot. But in over 20 or 30 years, should you be worried massively about it from an investor point of view? Probably not would be the answer. Well, thanks very much there to Emily Cadman and David Stevenson. You can read FT Money's cover feature, Betting on Brexit, this weekend as part of the Weekend FT or online at ft.com slash money. Now, let's shift up a gear and talk about pensions and more specifically, the pensions dashboard. Gone are the days when UK workers had a job for life and one gold-plated pension. The modern workplace means most of us have odds and ends of pensions all over the place as we move jobs, and the government has upped the ante this week, trying to make it easier for people to locate their lost pensions. But upping the ante even further is Steve Webb, director at Royal London and former pensions minister who thinks that plans for the pensions dashboard should be accelerated and fast. Steve, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Now, you've written all about the pensions dashboard in your FT Money column this weekend. Can you tell our readers what it is? The basic idea is an intuitive one that, as you've said, we've all got fragments of pensions. We've pretty much all got a state pension. Many people have worked for a company that had perhaps a salary-related final salary pension, something like that. 
They may have worked more recently for a company that enrolled them into a, a defined contribution or a pot of money pension. And with automatic enrolment coming, every time you change job, potentially you end up in a new pension. But unless you're very organised, and most of us aren't, you don't keep track of all of this. You can't see it all in one place. And if you kind of plan your retirement, actually just knowing what you've got is the first thing. Now, you've seen the pensions industry from both sides of the fence. What do you think needs to happen in government and also within the finance industry for this dashboard idea to happen? Well, one of the things that we've done is looked around the world at where these dashboards are already up and running. So we've looked at Australia, Sweden, the Netherlands, and to varying degrees, governments and regulators have made these things happen. In Australia, it's all linked to the tax office and your tax records. In Sweden, there's a Swedish pensions agency that until recently was sending you an orange envelope with all your pension information in. In the Netherlands, schemes have a legal duty to provide data to this dashboard. And yet here it's been, well, wouldn't it be nice? Mm. You know, come on, industry, why don't you do something? And there are so many competing interests and commercial interests and costs. And, you know, to be honest, I think unless government and regulators make this thing happen, and sooner than 2019, which is what the Chancellor's talking about, British consumers will be in a much worse position. And finally, what would be the biggest benefits for consumers were the dashboard to be introduced? I think if we are trying to make plans for our retirement and have some sense of a a target level of income, for example, then without a complete picture, you don't know if you're saving enough. I mean, the assumption for most people is that they're not saving enough. Some people have lost pensions and a dashboard could reunite them. So it'd be like Christmas for some people. But actually, if it makes it clear to you that you're heading for an income disappointing relative to the living standard you've had when you're at work, it can prompt you to take advice, do something about it, maybe consolidate get money out of poor value old pensions. Lots of possibilities. There are risks as well. You might make the wrong conclusion if the dashboard has too little information. Mm. So it's, it's not without its downside. But on the basis that what we should have is well-informed consumers supported to make good decisions, this has got to be the first step. Well, ultimately, if the red light is flashing on your pensions dashboard, then it's time to top up your funds. <laughs> well, thanks very much. That was Steve Webb. And you can read his full column now on ft.com money, as well as in the weekend newspaper. We'd love to know what you think about Brexit, finding a lost pension, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email, our address, money at ft.com, or tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else we'll feature in this weekend's edition. Merrin Somerset Webb looks at actively managed funds and asks whether they're worth it. And if you've been delayed on a train journey... Naomi Rovnik has been checking out your rights to see how much you can claim and how easy it really is. Plus, we have the latest share tips and directors' deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show was produced in London by Naomi Rovnik and edited by Feline Reyes in Manila. We will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.